Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor and the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app. We're now on Red Circle as well as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Also, you can find us on the Five Reasons YouTube channel. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe buttons. FiveReasonsSports.com, spell that one out. That's for content without a paywall. And check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Hope you're joining the competitions because it's very easy to beat me. Go to BetterEdge.com. That's B-E-T-T-O-R, Edge.com, backslash Five Reasons. You get $20 to play. This is peer-to-peer betting you can find you can find the line that you want and it's legal in the state of florida and 44 other states so you will actually get your money so check it out betteredge.com backslash five reasons and now today's episode Five on the floor, ride for my dogs. Where is the thing? You can check the score. Hustle hard, couple scars, wearing bubble frogs. Just like Buck said, you in trouble, y'all. Kept the floor playing, got an all band. Y'all seen the block, stop with one hand. And Pat, we trust, it's power, have the guts. We're here to bring the heat. Y'all can hang it up. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily insider show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick, Greg Sylvander, and Alex Toledo, plus others from the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome back to the Five on the Floor podcast. This is not Ethan Skolnick. This is your host for tonight, Alex Toledo. I'm sorry to have ruined your podcast listening experience. Unfortunately, Ethan and and, uh, Leif couldn't make it tonight. So it's me and... Golden Boy, Wonder Boy, Brady Hawk, lead writer of FiveReasonSports.com, put on a put out another recent banger uh, today, and that's what the, you know today's going to be about. We're going to talk about Jimmy Butler today, and we're going to try to hit on it from a different angle that we talked about so far this summer. You know, we're finally getting to the end. I'm seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel of this long and treacherous off season, trying to come up with content four or five times a week. And I think this Jimmy Butler topic is actually pretty fresh considering um, I think you really hit it from a, a good angle, Brady, because this is something that has been talked about, I think, when the Kyle Lowry acquisition was first made, and it's Jimmy playing off ball. I think we saw some of it. We saw flashes of it throughout last season, and I think it made Jimmy a more efficient offensive player, kind of giving him more um, options. I talk about you know diversifying your offensive portfolio and look, I'm not a financial expert, but I'm pretty sure that's a good thing. And I think Jimmy doing that is always a good thing. And I think both of us would like to see a little bit more of it um, this season. You know, we talked, we spent a lot of this summer talking about how now that they can't do and replicate exactly what they've been doing on defense, you got to kind of turn it up a notch on offense and, you know, possibly pick up the pace a little bit, you know, not just ball movement, but player movement, possibly playing smaller you know, the repercussions and the pros that comes with those things. And I think one of the bigger um, aspects of this, when you're just talking about details, is Jimmy as a roller, Jimmy as a screener, and how effective he is in those areas. So, Brady, I want to set you up here. I want to be the point guard, and I want to set you up to talk about the ways that Jimmy can be used there because it's definitely not just one. There's more than one. So, first of all – what do you think of when it comes to Jimmy as a screener compared to where he was at pre-Lowry and post-Lowry? And how much does it have to change from where he's been at? Yeah, I think you bring up Lowry is important because that is kind of the, the base setter. Like when you think about the fact that when he was acquired, that was something we were all talking about a ton. We were talking about the fact that he can hit him uh, and 
he did that a lot, especially in the regular season, because obviously Kyle was kind of banged up in the playoffs. But in the regular season, I think they felt best when Jimmy was screening for Kyle more than anybody else in the roster because Kyle can make the, the kind of the lob pass over the top. Uh, and I, there was actually a specific game, I think it was against the Hornets, where I even included a clip in the article from, from that game. But there was a full game of that where they were just spamming that over and over, and it works. Uh, but it maximizes Jimmy. And the reason I bring it up now is because you look at this roster, we keep talking about all the creators on the roster. How do they maximize them all together? Well, the, one of the ways you do that for Jimmy is kind of moving him off the ball at times. And obviously he's your best player. You're going to want him on the ball. He's still going to have his similar usage, but you have all the depot now in the mix. That's going to be higher usage. Tyler's going to be getting a similar usage. You want Bam getting a higher on ball usage. So there's going to be gaps of the, the game where certain guys are going to have to move off the ball. And we talked about this with Tyler. But it's just much easier when we talk about it with Jimmy because there's this screening aspect. Um, the funny thing is when we talk about losing P.J. Tucker, I don't think we talk about this enough, but they lost a lot of screening with that kind of losing that type of player because he was – everybody that would talk about P.J. Tucker, the first thing they would talk about is his screening, his off-ball screening. If there was a hammer screen happening for a shooter, it was P.J. If there was a handoff that began to happen and it kind of got bam off the handoff side of things, it was P.J. Tucker. I think Jimmy sees just an uptick in a lot of this. And I was looking at some of the numbers and getting back to the kind of the screening and rolling stuff. When he was a roller in the regular season, he was scored 1.29 points per possession. And that was on 54% shooting. It's a pretty, very good number, especially for among his size and, and kind of position. And then the crazier part is now you look into the playoffs and you see 1.75 points per possession on 78% shooting. The fact that that's happening and we talk about what Jimmy was able to do in the playoffs, but that number is insane. That is an insane number. The fact it, it was on similar frequency from, from the regular season, which still isn't super high of a frequency. Like, yes, most of his offense is coming on the ball, but he is a super effective short role guy that many talk about. There's just so many different aspects that we could talk about. And that's why this is so intriguing. But the fact that they could utilize this specific aspect of his game next to a depot and hero in those certain lineups. So when we talk about, let's say closing lineups where they throw all the creators on the floor, this is just such an easy get to. And, and there's so many different ways they can use it. I think the first one is when I brought up the handoffs and kind of subbing in for PJ, uh, I brought up the word gravity in this article and, and just having that gravity on the interior is so important for guys like Tyler, when he gives a handoff to Tyler and now Butler's getting in space down the lane. You have to worry about him just in general, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And now Tyler has an easy pull-up. Like, there's just so many aspects of this that I think they can work on. And this is why we talked about them leading offense with this roster. Like, the fact that you can go, I, even though many people probably hate it, go smaller but with more offense, it leads to having stuff like this. And this also points to Jimmy at the four, which is not the reason I brought this up. Like, the fact that he's playing more as a roller is not being at the four. If he's playing the two, I think he should be playing a lot more as a roller. Uh, but there's just so many ways I guess they could break off from this uh, when you just start talking about the offense they can run with certain lineups heading into next season. It's really interesting because, like you said, it, it could branch off into so many different ways that you can use Jimmy as a screener. Like you said, gravity isn't just a Steph Curry thing. It's not just a Duncan Robinson thing, right? No, but seriously, uh, the gravity with Jimmy Butler is the stuff that he can create at the rim, knowing that he, he is the Heat's number one primary um you know guy to get to the rim he is the primary rim attacker he is a, just a monster at drawing contact bullying through guys who are even just a, a bit smaller than him doesn't have to be a wild mismatch and he will take advantage 
I just think like that in itself is such a threat to teams because they understand how good he is, especially after you see the way he turns it up, turns it up in the playoffs. And the way that you can actually use that gravity isn't by having Jimmy stand around when he's not using the ball, right? When he's not on the ball, it's by having him screen for other players. And, and like you said, losing PJ, you lose a lot of screening there, which is how they actually would free up their shooters, whether, you know, if it's a, a regular handoff, right. They would use uh, PJ in a similar way to the, that they would use BAM, especially when BAM was out or, if it was just an off-ball action where uh, PJ was screening, which is the, his more common role when the team was healthy, I think Jimmy can replicate some of that. Obviously, he's not going to play the PJ role, but I think because of Jimmy's sturdiness, bulkiness, and the gravity he has as an inside scorer, you could definitely leverage that and and just make it so much easier. I think um, for guys like Tyler Hero, guys like Victor Oladipo, guys like Kyle Lowry, and I'm not saying Vic is going to be you know, the ball handler in a Victor, Jimmy Butler screen and roll, even though it's kind of a funky idea, which I don't hate, but I'm saying guys like him who are, who might catch the ball on a second side action might um, be, be playing off of an advantage created by the Jimmy Butler screen, for example. And I think that's what this is all about, right? It's about how can you create the most advantages from the most different spots on the court. And I think based on what we've seen this off season, um, shifting towards a more, Jimmy Butler centric um, offense and, and not in a traditional sense in the way of, okay, Jimmy's going to get the ball and have to do more now. Cause I don't think we, we want to see that during the regular season. It's more about how can you make things easier for everybody else? So you can get that increased level of production that you want offensively to, you know, hopefully be a top 10 offensive team or higher. You know, I just think when you're looking at it, whether it's Jimmy as a screener for BAM, which is just my dream thing. You put a clip in there uh, of, of that, right? I just, that's, that's, that's like a fever dream for me. I don't know how much of it we're going to see, but, you know, inverted pick and rolls with Bam running it and Jimmy screening for him would be fun, even though obviously teams would collapse. But I just think things like that where you can get creative and funky, make things easier for Bam in that scenario. Obviously, the, you, point, you pointed out the uh, Kyle Jimmy one, which they use a lot. Um, in the Hawks series, trying to um, beat up on mismatches there, you know, Trey being the obvious one. I just think you could use him as a screener for Tyler. Like, you can go a lot of different ways there. And even though his main thing on offense, his main role on offense, isn't going to be screening, that is one of those ways where you can really juice your offense. Because we've been talking about all the different ways they got to be better, right? We spent all of last episode going through individual guys having to take leaps for the Heat to go up in offense. But just basketball things that you can do that doesn't involve a player adding stuff. Number one is Jimmy Butler screening and rolling. And so Brady, the way that I want to, you know, I, I know that this is one of my weaknesses here is rambling too much, especially when I host, um, you know, given too much responsibility, which means I got to go back to playing off ball. So I'm going to pass the ball to you here and say, you know, to ask you here when it comes to all the different ways that Jimmy can be used as a screener and roller. Is that in itself good enough to get you to a top 10 offense if that's utilized correctly? And if not, what else is missing that doesn't involve, you know, any of the individual leaps that we talked about last time? I'd say I think it is because, I mean, a lot of that is putting a lot of pressure on Tyler and Depot specifically. Like, I feel like it's all on those two probably more than anybody on this roster. And I know that's probably a bad thing to say because everybody wants Bam to be in that discussion. 
But if Tyler and Depot take that type of offensive reins in the possessions that Jimmy is off ball, then I think, yeah, I think they can. I think they're in that top 10, top 12 range in general. Um, but I think the thing about this is they're not declining in usage too much with him on the ball. Like as much as we talk about this and get into like the minor elements of certain guys games, like we did this with Tyler too. Like as much as we harp on one part of their game in this kind of long off season before games start to wrap up, like he's still going to have the ball in his hands a ton. He's still going to be running pick and rolls a ton. He's still going to have isolations. So he's, I don't think there'll be that much of a difference there. It just comes for me, like, in the minutes, for one, in the minutes that I said earlier, in the Tyler Depot-Jimmy minutes, the thing I keep harping on, the thing that they went to so much in the playoffs uh, and it kind of got better over time, it's more about finding spots for the two guys that aren't on the ball. Like, that's just the issue here. It's like, if Tyler's the one that's off the ball, he's got to be moving, as we talked about in that one. If Jimmy's off the ball now, he has to be screening and rolling off the ball. Like, that's what the element is here. If it's Depot, it's, it's kind of movement shooting off of screens, possibly, and getting downhill. So there's different elements for everybody. Um, but the interesting part of this, and you hit on it, I think this, this kind of changes everything is the Jimmy Bam inverted pick and roll, because we talk about this in so many Bam episodes, but like, not only does it enhance Bam, but it also enhances Jimmy. Like this isn't just a Bam thing. Like I'll start off saying the fact that we want to see Bam inverted pick and rolls matter who's screaming. Like that's the main key here. It's about finding ways to get into the rim, finding ways to get him on the ball and find ways to score an inverted pick and roll allows him to just be his best self as a driver and kind of get down that right slot. And he's just been so good in that in general over time. But then you add in the fact that you talk about that play that I posted because it's just so clean. Like everything about it is clean. The fact that you have Bam flying off at six foot nine and has a handle and has an ability to finish. Then you have Jimmy, who, as we said before, has gravity as a roller and is able to take up space. If he wants to pop out and kind of drift to the mid range, as much as you may say they'll live with that shot, teams are not living with that shot. They're going to guard Jimmy Butler off that little drift. So it just creates chaos. And then when you have these two guys that are running in action, who's off the ball right now? It's the Max Struces of the world. It's the Gabe Vincents. It's the Kyle Lowry's. It's all the guys that you kind of can't dip off of in a lot of ways because they're just good enough shooters on that weak side. And the other part of this is the two guys in the action are both very, very kind of – determined to make that pass if they have it they can each of them can make the skip pass each of them can make the reads so that's why this specifically when we get down to it is just so crucial like if, if they can run this more uh it's just interesting because it's more effective than we call this the inverted action but it's like this is the real action the inverted is when jimmy has the ball and bam screening because that action has not been good like you look at the numbers of it because it's just teams just continually go under the screen and it just just leads to nonsense because it just doesn't go anywhere most of the time. It ends probably in a Jimmy to tested pull up or a bam kind of entry pass a little post. Like it doesn't usually end. When was, have you ever seen a Jimmy lob off a two on one to bam? Like everybody's thinking about it right now. Nobody can kind of think of one off the top of their head. So you look at the numbers, Butler and, and bam off pick and rolls had 1.03 points per possession, which I said is worse than Butler and Deadman and Butler and your They had Deadman at a 1.10 and your at a 1.2. 22 points per recession with Jimmy. So that kind of shows you where they're at there. But I think it just shows that if that is the case, why not maximize both of them? I think it takes a lot of stress off Jimmy, first of all. It's all about getting to the postseason, and we know what Jimmy's going to be at that point. But why not take a little bit of stress off him in the regular season? And you may say, well, screening is taking a toll on his body, and it's not as, as kind of drifting as you may think. But I, I, don't, I think differently. Like I think the fact that you're not stressing him to be on the ball, make plays every time down, 
I think that's way more helpful. And it also, like simultaneously, as we keep saying, forced the ball in the Bams' hands. So if they could find that specifically, I think that's the most important thing. And I'll finish here with the last thing is I keep bringing up the fact that they're going to run probably much more movement sets in the half court and run a totally expanded motion offense. Every time you see a motion offense that's working best for Miami, it's with Bam playmaking in the post splits and everything along those lines. And I showed a play in this article as well where Jimmy kind of screened and slipped and got an easy basket out of it. I think this ties into that as well because I think Jimmy can really be utilized off the ball in these motion sets because we don't really think of him like that. But if he if Bam has the ball in his playmaking, the big is not below the rim. He's up on Bam. You have much space to operate down low. And what do you want more than anything for Jimmy Butler as an attacker? Not having the big around the rim. You want Jimmy going one-on-one at all times. Like, that's what you want. We talked about his finishing in the past, but if you don't have a weak side defender coming over, I'm taking Jimmy Butler in that play 10 out of 10 times. So that's the thing here. It's like we talk about – it sounds so specific to have like a podcast talking about Jimmy Butler screening and rolling, but there's so many elements they can branch off from this, it feels like. There's so many sets, their base sets that they run, everything that they do operates out of this and it fits this roster as it as it currently stands because they have so many on-ball guys to kind of maximize around him so look i thought that was awesome this has been a great episode for you as usual because it just really got my gears worrying as far as how good that inverted pick and roll can be with um bam and jimmy right i think so much of what you're saying is so valid specifically with having bam um, placed so you know at the top of the arc we've seen the cons with it and why people complain about it so much but there's also the clear pros like what you're talking about you clear out the paint for jimmy you clear out the paint for others for back cuts which the heat are known for doing there you know that's another way that they can juice their offense a little bit with um things like that right i think having bam up there you know that that clip you put in your article was a perfect example because they did it against the elite you know, Boston defense that people were trying to make to be one of the best of all time. And, you know, that's just me being petty. I do think they were a really, really good defense. But um, he made that play happen. And even though they collapsed in the paint, which they did in that clip, you know, leaving guys open in the corner and I think one on the wing too, um, Bam was still able to make a simple read. All he did was have Jimmy screen for him in almost the same place that um, he initiates dribble handoffs, maybe a little bit closer to the rim by a foot or two, right? But it's almost the same play, and this is why I get so frustrated. It's almost the same play, but with an extra option added to it. The option is Bam is the handler. Bam can make another um, read that isn't feeding the shooter who's coming off the curl, coming off the handoff. It's Jimmy screens, Jimmy rolls, and either you give it to Jimmy, or if they're collapsing too hard, You pass it to the shooter. Like you said, he's got those reads. Jimmy has those reads. So you can run so many things off of there. Like you said, it takes the pressure off of Jimmy. It takes the pressure off of Bam. And that is how, and back to this, that is how you diversify both of their shot portfolios at the same time. You use your two best players in an action, which is how a lot of NBA teams function in the playoffs, right? They have their pet actions, and then they try to get their best players involved so that there's not an easy switch or whatever, you know. And, and, and like you said, like the, maybe the easy counter like is collapsing, but they have the shooting, right? If they're going to be playing smaller, that kind of implies they're going to be playing with more shooting out there. And I think that's kind of what we're all expecting. This doesn't work if their space, their, you know, their spacing isn't right. That's kind of a given. But I do think this is such a great way 
um, you know, to get into it. I think you nailed it, right? And then as far as nailing it, I think we're going to be doing a lot of that once we get into the season and Leif and Ethan get back on with their um, price pick hits and their price pick tweets because they're usually pretty uh, right on with those. I tend to just roll with whatever Leif says because, you know, I think Leif just has a natural eye for it. And speaking of price picks, the best daily fantasy out there with price picks, promo code five, they will match your first deposit up to $100. I love when the season is on and I could just kind of rely on Leif's picks constantly making money. And I think we all like to make money. And I think price picks is just a general proponent of that. You know, they give some nice big payouts. They've got 24 seven live support. They've got fast and secure withdrawals. You can actually get your money quickly after you win money. Right. I think that's pretty important as well when you're, um, trying to win money on gambling sites. So shout out to price picks, man. A lot of people have really, um, fallen in love with this stuff. Like they've been a, a sponsor for us for a while now, one of our longest running and it's for a reason Like we actually get people to sign up and people to actually stay with it because of, you know, all these benefits that we're talking about here, you'll get paid out quickly. Everything is pretty simple. It's just picking overs and unders. The mobile interface is very intuitive and easy to follow, easy to understand. And like I said, use promo code five and they'll match your first deposit up to uh, $100. And yeah, shout out Price Picks. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So now that we finally got through that um, god-awful live read of mine, we're going to get to this last segment here, and this is going to be a shorter one um, than the first one. We're going to still talk about Jimmy Butler, but we're going to do it from another different angle. And I didn't say this at the top because I wanted to kind of throw it in here at the end. It's kind of like a bonus segment because the, you know, the headliner for tonight's show was definitely your article, Brady. But, um, you know, just to continue the Jimmy conversation, I think I wanted to hit on it from something that's been kind of controversial with him is his shooting. I think um, he came into the league as somebody who couldn't really shoot and really worked his way up as a grinded out role player who ended up adding kind of a shot creation bag, ended up adding a little bit of a mid-range jump shot, ended up adding a bit of a three, right? Whether it was a set shot or sometimes a pull-up shot, you know, you would see Jimmy uh, put those up in the clutch and, you know, we've seen him do that here as well. But the point is um, when he finally got to those peaks in Chicago, he had kept upping his volume and upping his efficiency um from other areas that we just haven't seen him be that efficient at as a heat player except in the playoffs and we already know the story there playoff jimmy two out of three seasons here has just been a magnificent monster perfect maximization of jimmy butler and what he can be right like completely hitting his his individual ceiling right and i think part of that is the way that he's able to go from pretty much a complete non-shooter in the season, right? Where like this season he shot, for example, 23% from three, um, two attempts a game to in the playoffs, four attempts a game and right, <clears throat> excuse me, right under 34% from three. And he, he did that in the 2020 bubble as well. And people wanted to kind of make it seem like it, it was a fluky thing. And 
he's done it before. He is somebody who will up his game, and we talked about that so much, but as far as specifically his shooting, is this something that he needs to, you know, going back to that conversation about juicing the offense now with this roster, the way it stands, is this something that he needs to take a little bit more seriously during the season, right? Is this something where he doesn't need to necessarily go 100%, go all out like the way he does in the playoffs where he turns it up, but where he can take shooting a little bit more seriously to be a threat as a catch and shoot guy, you know, take a pull up jumper if they're dropping and it's right there for you. And maybe it's later in the shot clock and you're not necessarily looking for a specific action. Like he, you know, like they do most of the time. Do you think this is like something that they should actually have as a point of emphasis for Jimmy, just to get some easier offense generated a little bit more? Cause I just think, I don't know if it's as simple as Jimmy doesn't really care about shooting during the regular season, but it's hard to ignore how significant of a jump in volume and efficiency he's undergone in these two seasons, the way that we've seen it happen. Um, you know, when he was a main pr- uh, player in Chicago, in Minnesota, like he has flashed these things before. Is this one of the ways that they can help their spacing and also their, their offense, if they're going to be playing smaller? Yeah, I think it is important. I think it's important because for one, look like the, the, percentages of the regular season of his three-point shooting is always weird in general because when he shoots them in the regular season it's like the worst possible shot on the floor because he only shoots it if it's like one second on the shot clock and he's fading or if it's the end of a game and everybody's screaming at him to drive and he takes like a leaning sidestepping fadeaway three like that's like the shots he's taking so it's kind of feeds into the percentages being down and it feels like in the playoffs it's more set shots comfortable shots that he's comfortable with but the thing about shooting is that it's all about rhythm. Like everything is rhythm. We learned that with Duncan Robinson. Like once he got out of rhythm, it's hard to jump back in for a little bit. And the issue, the, the reason I think it's a, an interesting topic to bring up is because he was in full rhythm in the playoffs with it and bring not to rehash the final shot in the game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. But other than the fact that it was a shot that I believe he should have taken, um, he was shooting it good from three in the playoffs. Like it wasn't like a 23% shooter just shooting from three. Like he had a bit of rhythm at that point anyway, other than the fact that he's hot from the playoffs, every clip you see from him in this offseason is him shooting from three in the logo. And I know that means nothing because Ben Simmons makes as highlight reels of offseason work shooting from three. So I can't take that too seriously, but it's a rhythm thing that if he starts out the season, he's a little comfortable and he makes, he goes two for two, two for four in a couple of games. That builds rhythm and that builds comfort and that builds a, a role that he could potentially see. Um, so it's more about, I guess, I'm not worried about the percentage. I'm just worried about the shots that he's taking, like where he's taking them in the time slots that he's taking them. Like, because a lot of these shots, like you just don't want him forcing these shots. And it feels like threes always come when he's forcing. Like it's not, uh, once he's comfortable and he has his big games, it's getting to his spots in the mid-range, getting into his spot in the mid-range, getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line. Like when he's comfortable, he doesn't stray off to the three-point line. He only strays off to the three-point line when he doesn't have anything else going. So if he could work that in in that way, like he does in the playoffs, where I think it was the game six in Boston, like the big game six where he had 47, he found a rhythm from three and he was sparing it. Like we call him a big shot maker because that's what he does in those type of moments. But the fact that he can hit those shots could elevate this offense because talking about potentially playing the four next to Bam, if he's able to just stretch the four a little bit and be a threat off the dribble, uh, I personally don't see him being a threat off the catch. Like, that does not feel like something I see Jimmy Butler doing. Like, 
sitting in the corner and kind of catching and firing. Like that is not something I don't think that's in his wheelhouse of being in rhythm. I think his rhythm thing is kind of two dribbles, taking two steps and shooting over the top, more pull-up types. And if he could kind of nail that just decently, like it doesn't have to be high percentage. It could be the kind of the percentage he shot in the playoffs. Like if he can carry that over, that fixes a lot that they do offensively. And we keep talking about leaning offense and we talked about the things they could do screening wise. Now let's work in the fact that you could be a screener. You could be a, a handoff guy, fake the handoff or, or pick and pop. Like if you're able to do this type of stuff with Jimmy Butler in the regular season, like you were talking about top 10. I might be talking about top seven at that point of offenses if Jimmy Butler's doing that. Man, what you just said there, and you know, like, man, you just expanded my mind with more uh, possibilities for what they can do with that, you know, aforementioned Bam Jimmy pick and roll. Because now we're talking about Bam Jimmy pick and pop. Like, oh, my God. Like, what what have we got? Into? Now, now it's top three. No, that would be an incredible play that we're absolutely never going to see as long as you and I are alive. But, uh, no, really, I think Jimmy – um, being able to just decently space, like you're talking about, even though it probably won't be off the catch, where they just don't have to completely ignore him, that would be nice, man. That would be a nice luxury at this point, especially when, you know, PJ is not out there. So that's one less guy. That's the, you know, the good thing about BJ not being out there is um, it helps with your spacing, right? Because a lot of teams, like we saw in the playoffs, you know, they just had Rob Williams cheating off of PJ the whole time in the corner and then ended up working out. And, you know, if they can't treat Jimmy the exact same, that would be cool. I don't know if that's realistic because I think PJ was a pretty damn good corner shooter and they still ignored him. So I don't know. Um, but Jimmy having a little bit more shooting gravity, I'm not, I don't even know if gravity is the right word I'm looking for here because he, he doesn't have shooting gravity. But I think like if he could just become a, more of a shooting threat, it would give him more gravity and I think make him tougher to guard like you're talking about because it adds more reads if teams are a little bit more worried about that shot and I just think it makes the offense a little bit easier to run and uh, easier for Jimmy to kind of diagnose on the move right where it's it might be less guys um, sitting in the paint waiting for him if there's a lot of other shooters around him like I, I just think they have options to be able to really get creative just with the roster, the way it stands. And I just think that's kind of what we've been trying to get at here without outright saying it. And I think it's a good place to close. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, bear with me for this hosting thing. I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, don't be as hard on me as you are on BAM for not figuring it out right away. But um, really, thank you guys for listening. Shout out Prize Picks. Shout out all our sponsors. Check out everything on the network. Shout out Brady and his wonderful writing and great analysis another great show um again carried by brady and i just think you know we're trying to get we're trying to we're getting into the season now and i think a lot of the the topics have been done right over the summer we, we've gone over a lot of the same stuff with the roster the, the hole at the four the star stuff and it really feels like you know that the season is around the corner now with media day less than a week away um, things are starting back up and, you know, the NBA is really, really wide open right now. There's no clear favorites, but there's a lot of really good teams. And I think the Heat have a chance to really get back up into that top level category if they can get creative with some of the stuff that, uh, you know, they haven't done over the past couple of seasons just to add more reads, add more options like we talked about. And, you know, maybe they make a move before the trade deadline um, 
strengthen up the roster a little bit there with another front court player. And I think all of a sudden they're back in. So like for all this negative stuff and, you know, a lot of people being disappointed somewhat understandably with their summer, just because it's hard to not be disappointed when you're in the mix for those types of superstar players that they were in the mix for. I think despite all of that, they're still in a pretty good spot, man. Like not even including internal development, not even including, you know, doing more Jimmy stuff. Like they just have so much that they can do still. I feel even though like Spo was an elite coach, probably number one, um, you know, have so much respect for him. There's probably still some meat left on the bone as far as what they can do with the roster as it stands. So with that being said, I'm done rambling now. You probably already tuned out and probably just skip to when Brady talks. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Fire Regional Sports Network.